0: Welcome to the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. And now your host, Sonia Esther Soltani.
1: Welcome to this new episode of the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Esther Soltani, Editor-in-Chief of Rapaport. In previous seasons, we've discussed what is jewelry art. And today we're going to meet a jewelry artist, Michael Robinson of David Michael's Jewels. David Michael Jewels It's a famous jewelry art company that has produced extraordinary pieces for the past 10 years. You might have seen them at Sotheby's or at Steven Russell in New York. Today, Michael is going to share his creative process as well as what he thinks makes jewelry art. Hi, Michael. I'm so happy to have you on this podcast to discuss the work or the calling of the jewellery artist. How are you?
0: Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell me, before we start going into more the technical side of your work, how did you start in the jewellery business?
0: Oh, I think I started before I even knew I started. My father was in jewellery, so he wasn't a bench jeweller, but he would manage a jewellery store and eventually went on to own jewellery stores. So he was kind of more of a business jewellery person so i mean before and after kindergarten our kindergarten was close to the store he was managing so we would go to work with our dad and to be kept busy whilst he was setting up the store in the morning more often than not we would be dumped in the workshop at four years old would be given a hammer to play with and i guess that's where it started i never Never really stopped playing with hammers. Then I just kept on making. um always knew I wanted to be a jawler. So in high school, I didn't pay too much attention in classes. I would just always be drawing. and Then I dropped out of high school early to start making jewellery and have never stopped.
1: Do you remember the first jewel you created?
0: Yes, I do. It's very forgettable, though. It wasn't anything particularly spectacular. The first professional jewellery I started making was when I was about 15 years old, and I would make little silver pendants to sell at a local clothing store. They weren't anything original. I was heavily into music and I used to make little Wu-Tang clan pendants and sell them through clothing stores.
1: And what's interesting is that you mentioned your father was in the jewelry business. You've always known about the jewelry industry. You've always known about the trading side, the retailing side. When did you think, I want to make something that is a bit different, that is not mainstream, but it's really exceptional and rare? Because for people who are not familiar with your work, yet yeah, most jewelry connoisseurs are familiar with David Michael, but you only create... 12 to 15 pieces a year, which is quite exceptional in this trade. So how do you move from this mainstream jewellery business to exceptional, high-end, unique pieces?
0: Um, Like everybody, I started off making not-so-great pieces in silver. And then for a long while, I did repairs mostly. For well, maybe about five years, all I did was repairs. To be honest, that was quite boring, mundane work. But it's probably the best grounding in the jewelry industry you can get because you learn where pieces fail, you learn where a chain link's going to break or where things show where or what's strong and not. So for five years, I was just doing repair after repair. Whilst I was doing the repairs, I was always thinking about pieces I want to make. And then probably for like the next 20 years, I pretty much made people's engagement rings. So brand new engagement rings, I'd, for the most part, speak with the couple and get an idea of what they were looking for and then present them drawings. For a while, that was really interesting because I was interpreting what they want, what their budgets were, and coming up with original designs to present to them. But then after 20 years of making engagement rings, I started thinking about more creative pieces I want to do. But... The engagement rings were keeping me so busy. I just really didn't have time. And whenever I did have a little bit of time, the works would sell very quickly. So the pivotal moment was when my dad came up to retirement age. My brother and I had gone into his business and were working for him, which is when I was making engagement rings. And when he retired, I didn't really want to take over that business because I'm more of a workshop guy rather than a client facing person. And then I just had all this pent up creative thoughts. So that was about 10 years ago now. For 10 years, I've just been making what I want to make rather than trying to make a client happy.
1: And what is it that you wanted to make? Can you tell us for listeners, the really intricate gem set jewels? I mean, it's really pieces of art. When you see them, you feel like you want to put them on display and just look at them. Can, Can you tell us some of this inspiration and some of the pieces that came out of your workshop for the past 10 years? I
0: think, first of all, what I wanted to make was I very much love antique jewellery and I had seen all of the period jewels that are inspired by floral bouquets or by nature. So definitely for the first little while, I was making seahorses and different flowers and basically Things inspired by nature but reinterpreting in a very colorful sort of three-dimensional way that I wanted to make and I did that probably for about five years-ish then I didn't want to just reinterpret nature anymore because nature has done a really good job of designing and creating those works so I kind of morphed them to doing more shapes and designs that are purely out of my head. Sometimes reinterpreting nature, but making sure that it's gone through my filter enough to be mine rather than just taking something that already exists and turning it into jewellery.
1: Can you pick one piece and tell us a bit more about the genesis and how it's made and how long it takes and the effort that's involved, the challenges. Is there Mm -hmm. one piece that you'd like to describe to our listeners?
0: I guess the piece that probably has most attention that when people meet me, they say, oh, you're the person that made this piece, is the series of koi ponds that I make. They're obviously quite heavily influenced by a koi pond. When I was a kid, I would make little rock garden ponds in the garden with my dad. But I very much morph them into just stripping down, not trying to look natural at all. I make them into a particular soft rounded shape that I like, which is more like a pebble than a rock. I don't use any castings or anything like that. I start with raw metal, raw lumps of sheet or um, bar stock and I forge it. I roll it out or hammer it to shape. So the work's completely made by hand. It's not cast. Once it's made, I drill and carefully cover the surface with tiny little holes so that I can see a colourful pave into the pieces that I want. And the thing that I love about these koi ponds is that they also feature a little miniature painting of a koi fish that I do on Mother of Pearl. So it really feels like it's a little work of art from start to finish because it's almost like I'm making a tiny little jeweled frame for the miniature painting I did. So yeah, I sit down and I make the piece from start to finish when the work has my name signed to it it's because it's my work not another single hand touches the work from start to
1: finish And know that's also very important for you to draw I follow you on Instagram and you draw a lot everywhere I do we used to see what a color drawing and but you draw with the simplest pens. so tell us a bit more about this process because that's fascinating to see and you think which piece of jewelry is going to come out of this drawing if mm-hmm. any
0: Um, Well, I've just always drawn. Like I said, even in school, it didn't matter which class I was in, I was always drawing. So if it was maths, I was drawing on my notebook. If it was science, I was drawing pictures on my notebook. So it's a habit that has always really stuck with me. I'm not really much into technology and I was a very late adapted to even having something as simple as a cell phone. It was only about five years ago that I got my first cell phone. So what I would do is I would carry around a little pocket notebook. And rather than scrolling on my phone, whenever I'm anywhere, I'd pick up a pen and draw little sketches in my notebook. And making pieces of jewelry is so intensive and I can spend a thousand hours on making a little jeweled piece of work. Whereas I can fill up a sketchbook page with ideas in 20 minutes. So I just love the juxtaposition and how instant drawing is. It's a completely different muscle in my brain that gets worked out when I'm drawing versus making things. So I do, I try to, again, making things takes up so much of my time. So I'll normally do drawings when I'm on a train ride or when I'm on a phone conversation and I just love it. It's so, it feels so fast and instant and carefree.
1: I like the creative process, and I was wondering, when you create a piece of jewelry, do you have a collector in mind already, or you just create a piece of jewelry and you hope that. It's going to meet its collector, someone who's going to appreciate the thousands of hours that went into it, the sourcing of gemstones, and your own spirit in the piece.
0: Very much the latter. As I said, in my younger career, I guess from my father's influence, I was a little more business-minded, and we didn't have a museum, we had a store, so we were trying to make things that sold. But for the last 10 years or so, I've very much been working like an artist. I try to close out the outside world, and I... I'm very lucky that I don't have to think about what other people want. I'm just purely focused on getting my own ideas out of my head and into a three-dimensional little jeweled, jeweled sculpture and work of art. And it just gives so, so much freedom. Obviously, I'm still grounded by the practicalities of my more fundamental upbringing where I still think about Is the work going to be light and comfortable for the end person to wear is it going to be durable and not have elements that are going to catch on every fabric or make the work sit crooked so i still have all of these fundamentals of comfort making it not so heavy that it's going to tear or weigh down fabric but other than those which i try to suppress a little bit it's just total creative freedom i sit down and i do what i want to do what i have to do
1: i like this idea of creative freedom utter creative freedom so tell us why you're working at the moment
0: i'm working on two projects at the moment which has actually been quite difficult for me because normally I'm very focused on working on one piece at a time but as I said mentioning going back to the koi ponds again I have made the winter koi pond and I've made the summer koi pond and I'm currently creating the autumn koi pond that I'm working on now and I'm currently collecting and carving gemstones into leaves to step into this koi pond I'm working on that project and I'm also working on another series of works which are going to be A collection of 50 individual little works some of them will be jewelry but others are just tiny little jeweled objects that you might sit in your pocket or on a desk they're kind of part of a special project that i'm not entirely ready to speak about yet and they're probably two or three years away from being done but uh, yeah, so exciting.
1: And since you started on the jury art scene, have you seen an evolution? Have you seen like jury art is more respected, it's treated differently? I think in the past years, we've heard the word jury art is much more in the mainstream. It's not this obscure niche topic. It seems <laughs> like more jurors have come up on a larger scene. So have you seen it yourself in the past 10 years, 20 years that you've been looking at things and seeing it from the inside?
0: Yeah, definitely. You do hear the word jewellery artist a lot more. I have noticed it. It's something, honestly, that I try to shut out and not be entirely aware of. When I'm on social media, I always try to, first of all, limit my time on there because I don't think it's that productive to getting work done if I get stuck in the trap of scrolling on social media. But also, I always just like to create rather than consume. It is a topic that I feel quite passionate about personally when I have very strong beliefs about art and what makes jewellery art versus a product. They're my personal beliefs. Sometimes I share them. I never try to convince people or have them necessarily think the same way I do. But there is, I think maybe the term is used a little looser or it's a little bit more of a PR type. Thing rather than totally authentic. For me, what makes jewellery art is when it's a singular human person's vision and they sit down and they create it. To me, that makes it art. If we think about traditional artists that paint canvases, these are human beings that sit down and they paint a canvas from their head. They aren't people that tell other people to paint what's in their head. And they are people that if they're painting a landscape, for example, and in the landscape, there's a building and they only know how to paint trees. They don't contract the work out to somebody to paint the building and then sign their name to the bottom of it. So I think with jewellery, we have to be careful about what is art and what is a product. And I think if you're taking shortcuts that concern making things easier, quicker or cheaper then i think you're making a product i think if you're making art it's a human being sitting down and creating work through an artistic vision that they have and through their hands and the skills that their hands have built up over time so yeah that's something i feel quite passionate about but again that's my personal belief
1: thank you no i think it's beautiful it's a beautiful distinction between product and art who would you consider a jewelry artist who are the jewelry artists that you look up to and you found inspiring the style is completely different from yours but you think that that is really odd
0: i have the perfect person that inspires me so much and he became a mentor of mine in the last year of his life as an artist called daniel brush if the viewers aren't aware of them i highly recommend googling him and there's a few good youtube videos about him and a few good podcasts but he was just the epitome of an artist he did everything himself single-handedly They were his own artistic vision. Again, they were made of his hand. They weren't designed with the aid of a computer and cast in a machine. They were lumps of material that he sculpted and worked with his hand. And sometimes he made jewelry, sometimes he made sculpture, sometimes he did paintings or drawings, but they were always purely of his mind and hand. And I don't think there's a better poster boy or an artist jeweller than Daniel Brush. He really lived the life.
1: That's a great example. I think there's an exhibition at the moment. Of his there book. is,
0: yes. He has an uh, exhibition going on in, in Tokyo at the moment with lacole that is called Thinking of Monet. Um, a lot of it right. is more more colorful sort of well they weren't colorful they were metal but they give off colorful light but yes he's very much lives the ethos where it is art it's his vision, and it's not of other people's hands that he's signing his name to
1: thank you and where can people see you your creations michael uh
0: the easiest way is to again google or get onto our instagram page david michael jules and there's a collection on there I share work on there from time to time. I don't share everything. Again, a lot of my work's quite personal and private. Mostly people find me through word of mouth, like if a collector has a piece and they tell their friend or if a friend sees them wearing it, um, they'll track me down. But again, because I'm only hand-making a handful of pieces, there isn't a huge collection of work anywhere. They tend to find a new home pretty soon after they're finished. So really the best place to see them would be on our website or social media, but they are welcome to contact me directly and there might be a piece I'm working on and I can share what I'm working on.
1: Wonderful. So I encourage everyone to scroll on Instagram. (laughs) Sorry to say that. Once you get on your page, it's very hard to stop scrolling and checking the detail and doing like a zoom in to check all the, the delicate settings and the stones. So I would really encourage that. And thank you so much, Michael, for... For sharing a little bit of the life of a jewelry artist with us Thank today. You. And I'm looking forward to seeing your new creation, the autumn part of this series.
0: If I don't share them publicly, I'll send you a private message.
1: Great. <laughs> I feel my privilege. This podcast, no one listens to, so we're good. <laughs> it means our of listeners. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is just for me. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much, Michael.
0: Great team. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Jewelry Connoisseur podcast by Rappaport Jewelry Pro. This episode was hosted by Sonia Esther Sultani and produced and edited by Vanina Pekolk. You can find all our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and read more about diamonds, colored gemstones, high jewelry designers, estate jewelry, and the latest jewelry trends on Rappaport.com slash jewelry connoisseur. Please subscribe to get all our new episodes. And if you liked this one, leave us a review.